good to be back at Charity. Glad the Lord has opened things up where we can feel the liberty to come back together uh, after all the uh, COVID. Somebody asked me, said, well, what, what happened to you in COVID? I said, well, can't you tell? Yeah. <laughs> I went to the doctor for a shot, and they said he didn't have one for that. <laughs> I, I guess I'll have to put up with it. Of course, I found out there's things worse than COVID. I heard about a fellow, they uh, served him papers, and he looked down at it and thought it said he had tested positive for COVID-19, they took him to jail. He said, well, if I tested positive for COVID-19, why are you bring me to jail? They said, well, you didn't test positive for COVID-19. You tested positive for cocaine on the 19th. <laughs> So, uh, I guess they some things it's worse, but uh, good to see each one of you, and looking forward to the time uh, together of Brother Kevin and Amanda. The Lord put our hearts together also many, many years ago, and uh, God has, when I met him, he was young and I was still old, but uh, the Lord has raised him up to be a uh, a leader in this uh, part of the country and using him in many other parts of the country. And uh, so I'm, I'm thankful for that. I like to go back to churches, you know, to see how everybody's aging. And you're doing pretty good. <laughs> uh, you know, the four stages, I just learned this here a week or so, the four stages to aging. And it applies to all of us. The first is you know, when you believe in Santa Claus. The second is you get old enough you don't believe in Santa Claus. The third, when you get married and have youngins, you are Santa Claus. And the last one, you start looking like Santa Claus. <laughs> now, I ain't saying nothing about your pastor now. <laughs> Anyway, that's, uh, that's that. I, uh, I'm there. I'll just tell you right now. I'm looking like Santa Claus. Let's take our Bibles, if you will, and turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. I'll read verse 1 down through verse number 7. My wife sends her apologies for not being able to make it. Uh, we were at Brother Carey's youth camp this week, finished up yesterday, and had several of our grand youngs with us for the camp, and so she had to distribute them back to their uh, homes in North Carolina and in Georgia. So she had to leave and go in that direction. You know, when uh, we first got married, I felt like it was just me and her. I was number one on her list. And then we started having youngins. I felt like somebody was coming between us, that she loved more than she did me. <laughs> Finally, end up with four youngins. I said, well, thank God that's over. You know, at least I'll be fifth. <laughs> then we started having grand youngins. We got 13 grand. I'm so far out, I don't even count. <laughs> Everything's about them. And what I'm afraid of is one of these days, one of them's going to have a major organ failure and I'll be a match. 
I won't have a chance. I'm going to tell you that right now. I can't believe you won't give your son your heart. <laughs> I said, well, can we pray about it? No. Get on the table. And, and if, you, if you husbands don't realize that's the truth, you're, going to be, you're in bad shape. But anyway, that's, uh, she did tell me the other day, I'm going to have to get the preaching here, that why she married me. She said it was my brains. So there's little things in life that counts. <laughs> so anyway, I'm glad she's not here this morning. She get on to. All right, let's look here in the Word of the Lord. We'll begin reading in verse number one, uh, down through verse number seven. I, I want to preach this week as the Lord leaves on on making room in your life for some things, making space or margin out of your time, your talent, out of who you are, what you do, out of your heart and out of your spirit, making room. And here we're going to notice that this dear sister who has lost her husband has two sons in danger of being made bondmen because of the debt that they owe. It is here that she goes to the great man of God to seek some help, hoping that maybe he has an answer, some kind of relief that will take care of the need that she has. But little does she know that she already possesses everything she needs. And I want to emphasize that the biggest discovery that you'll ever have is not what you're going to get, but what you've got. Have you contemplated how much you got when you came to Christ? Peter said, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Well, that's a big, big verse, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 3.21, all things are yours. He that delivered up his only son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? This morning I want us to contemplate, not on the tomorrows and what we hope to get, but on the today and what we already have already have. Back in the mountains of North Carolina, fellows working on a lawnmower for me, just an old mountain man, chewing his tobacco. He said, preacher, I think I've found out how to be a millionaire. I said, well, I'm interested in that. He spit again real big. He said, well, I figure the first thing you got to do is get a million dollars. <laughs> well, it's awfully easy for us to try to live off of what we think we're going to get. But that's not what God wants for us. He wants us to live as we're going to notice in this text off of what we already have. Let's look at it. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. 
Thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take him unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? That wasn't the answer she was looking for. Tell me, what hast thou in the house? (laughs) And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house. Here's her estimation as to what she had. Save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. When thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and thou shalt pour out into all of those vessels. Pour out not of what you're going to get, but what you've got. And thou shalt set aside that which is full. Fullness, not out of what you're going to get, but out of what you got. But she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said, There is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. And she came and told the man of God, then he said, Go, sell the oil and pay the debt, and live. Live, thou and thy children of the rest. I didn't uh, outline this so it won't be too homiletical. But I just got five or six thoughts on this matter of making room. And you can see it in our text. She's going to have to make room for those pots and pans. Not because of what she's going to get, but because of what she's got. And if you ever make a discovery on what you got, you won't have much room to go around getting Because you can live off that. Now let's just walk down through this text. I want us to notice how that she goes to this great man of God, Elisha, to get. She's hoping maybe he has something laid back. Or he's a man of miracles. Surely if... He has worked on the behalf of others, and her husband was a close friend. He could could do something miraculous to meet this need because it is a desperate need. At the least, he could call the prophets together and take up an offering. But did you notice he, he offered her nothing? He gave her nothing? She came to receive... And he gave her nothing. The reason why is because through his 
understanding spiritually. He realized that to give her anything would have forever have kept her from seeing what she already had. Ten bucks is not going to help this lady. A hundred dollars is not going to take care of the need. But all to point her back so that she could discover that already in her possession was the answer to her need. Stored right there in that little cabinet that she had underestimated, had overlooked as we often do that seemed to be so insignificant. So I would word it this way. She goes to get what she's already got. And can I emphasize that God many times will stand between you and what you think you've got to get because he wants you to realize What you've got in your faith. What you've got in your grace. What you've got in the power of prayer. What you've got in the word of God. What you've got in the Holy Ghost. What you've got in the family of God. What you've got in his promises. And what you've got in his presence. And what you've got in him. The man of God is not going to be her hindrance. He's going to be her helper. Not by what he gives her, but what he points her toward. He lets her see what she has not seen. And that is the answer to her need is found in what she's caught. I've got good news for you, children of God. Don't know what the future holds. But I want to encourage your heart to let you know that right now God has already given you all you'll ever need for whatever the future holds. She goes to get what she's got. Let me proceed. Then she realizes that what she's got that seems so small, as I say, is going to be the volume, the substance that is going to meet all. You saw the emphasis in the text of this matter of being full. It's going this little bit is going to meet the volume of all of the need. She goes to get what she's got and then finds out what she's got will meet every need. Now, I want to say to you, and I want you to to understand this, every need that you will ever have will directly or indirectly have a connection 
to what you've already got. And you will be able to see that connection. Because you will be driven back to the resources of the plenty that's already in your life. And you will be amazed at how you had not seen it, but now you realize that there is an abundance to draw out of that for the circumstances that are at hand whenever that they are at hand. And that every need that you will ever have will have a connection to what you've already got. Now, let me illustrate this with my life since I'm doing the preaching. I can remember 21 years old, me and the wife moved to Spruce Pine, North Carolina. And we rented a little house there. Fixing to have our first child. Poor as Job's turkey. Rented the house on the agreement that the rent would be lower if I would fix anything that broke. Don't ever do that. <laughs> the house will fall apart. Wasn't in there a week until the faucet, the main faucet in the kitchen, broke. Didn't have a credit card in that day. I didn't even have a bank account. But there was a, there was a country store called Joe House. It was better than Walmart. Had everything or they could order it. Before Walmart was anywhere near where we were. And I'd been through there a time or two, and I noticed people buying things, and, and I noticed that they could get it on credit. I'd see them writing it down, you know. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to go up there, and I don't know Mr. Howell. I'll introduce myself and, and, I, and, uh, and, and see if I can get a faucet on credit. So I did. i never forget. I went in and introduced myself. I did not tell him I was a preacher. I didn't use that card. And I said to him, sir, me and my wife just moved in the house down the road here. The faucet has went out. And I'm talking about everything that you need will be met out of what you've got in some way. And I said to him, uh, I was wondering if I can get a faucet on credit. He started milking his chin. I know he'd been had many times. And before he could give an answer, there was a voice in the aisle there, a man who actually was the manager of the store for the owner who was Joe that I was talking to. He spoke out. Jim Rose was his name. He's in heaven now. Later on, got saved at my church. But I never met him. Did not know him. Did not know that he knew me. He said, Joe, that's a young preacher boy right there. I had no idea how he knew. I did not know. And said, he'll pay you for that faucet, and if he don't, I will. Let him have it. <laughs> it wasn't until years later to where... The Lord worked it out in a relationship between him and, and he got saved. He said, you know where I, I, where I asked him, I said, how did you know me? He said, well, I was downtown on a Saturday waiting on my wife to come out of the store. On that same Saturday, I felt led to preach on the street of Spruce Pine to all 50 people. I mean, it's a small town. <laughs> But I just got up and started quoting John 3.16. I did not know that sitting across the street was Jim Rose listening to me. And through that connection, I got me a faucet. 
But that wasn't the beginning of the, 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 what God was doing. I'd have to go all the way back as a 14-year-old boy, walking down a little alley all by myself, having never, I heard the gospel on two or three occasions, but that's all, that's all. And the Lord showed up and he saved me and he put all of that in me. And he put the Holy Ghost in me at the same time. And that Holy Ghost started bumping my heart to proclaim what I had. I did not know terminologies. I would go, and this was in Cleveland, Ohio, where there were thousands of people on Saturday. On Market Street, they call it, West 25th Street. I mean thousands of people. And I would go over there just as a teenage boy, and I'd put one box on inside of another cardboard box so I could stand up on it. And only weighed 140 pounds. I could do that. I only took two boxes. And I could preach. And I didn't know anything but John 3.16. I had learned that. And I would quote John 3. And somebody walked up to me one day and said, Are you a preacher? I said, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what you've got to do to be a preacher. But preach was in me. It was birthed in me. I just didn't know. I hadn't been in church enough to know what all of that was about. And God put eternity in me. Put the Holy Ghost in me. Put salvation in me. Put grace in me. He put preach in me. And little did I know the preach he put in me at 14 was going to get me a faucet. But I want you to know every need I've ever had has been met out of what God had already put in me. There will be a connection to what you've got in some way, shape, or form. Unless it connect its way back. I wouldn't be here unless it hadn't connected its way back. All the way back to that where God gave me ever. He just dumped all the heaven in me. A whole bit. And I've been operating off of that ever since. And I found out it's been enough for everything I've needed. And I already had it. I had the resources to meet the need. And honey, I'm glad for that. She goes to get what she's already got. Now she finds out that what she's got that seems so small meets every need. Oh, don't overlook what you got. It's so deep. It's so powerful. She goes to get what she's already got, finds out what she's got will meet every need. But let me couple up to that and say that it took a need, as it always does, to show her what she's got. Now, I know we don't like tragedies. We don't like heartaches. We don't like hard times. But that's what God allows in our lives to magnify what is not apparent to us. Some things that he wants us to see that we already have, but we're not seeing it because we don't need it. Let us all be honest. I know, I mean, God has so blessed the church in America that we, to a large degree, we've been spoiled. We really haven't needed what we've got. Now, I'm not saying that, I don't want to be generalized. I know there there have been great heartaches in all, all of our lives at different times, and some of you deep heartaches. 
But it's in that time you found out what you had on some level. But I'm here to tell you in a general sense, this world is turning against the church. Can you not sense the anger, the bitterness? They're not thinking about negotiating. They're thinking about crushing us. Crushing us. And I do not know in what form that's going to come upon us as believers, but I want to say to you that when it is unleashed, that is when we're going to find out how powerful prayer is because we're going to need it. It won't be now I lay me down to sleep or a little prayer over a meal nine, and we all do that, and that is fine. But, honey, we're going to grab hold of the horns of the altar because there's a great need. But, oh, to find out the prayer works, as Elijah did, and Elisha did, as Moses did, to find out that your faith is just not a word that you spell with five letters, but it's something that will operate in the darkest hours. To find out that grace is real and alive. To keep you from being bitter and filled with a hate. To find out the, very, the vast resources of the word of God become so handy in a dark hour. Times in which all of these things God has given you will become so real. In all of our lives. God has to allow a need that will drive you to what you got. I think the Apostle Paul is a great example of that. You remember he had the thorn in the flesh. He cried out to God three times. And God never gave him anything. He just told him what he had. <laughs> Did you notice that? Paul was that great preacher of the mystery of what? Grace, right? He gets that thorn in the flesh. And God, he said, oh God, I got this thorn. Oh God. And God hollers back and says, Paul, grace. But Lord, I'm going to grace, Paul. Finally, Paul said, oh, okay, I realize I've already got it, and your grace is sufficient for me. Huh? To realize you already got everything you need for whatever you're going to face. Hang on me more than enough. She goes to get what she's already got, finds out what she's got, meets every need, but it took the need to get her. where the resource was to magnify that resource driving you to that well of the word of God or the well of prayer and how many times have we seen those in, in situations so foreboding and, and, and imposing and, and, and whether it's because of sickness or death or in the hospital on their back and you go to talk to them and they go to talking to you out of stuff they found out they already had. <laughs> Ain't you done that many times? Hear of a tragedy and you walk in on a situation saying, I'm going to go see what I can do, but I don't even know what to say. I mean, I'm the preacher. I've never been there. And I go there to try to help them. And while I'm there, they start helping me. 
Oh, preacher, the Lord's been in here. Let me read you a verse. I, I've read it many times, but it never said what it's saying now. Reach back into all of those resources that have been around ever since you've been saved and grab them. And oh, they become so real, they become so vibrant, and they sustain you. She goes to get what she's already got, finds out what she's got, meets every need, and finds out that the need's what drove her to what she's got. I'm talking about this matter of not living off of what you're going to get, but living off of what you've got. Now, you know, once we see this in the Word of God, we realize. Now, my gets and gots are not grammatically correct either. I understand that. But I do know my grammar because I was taught in the state of higher learning, West Virginia. The three R's there was reading, writing, and Route 77. <laughs> if you was going to go anywhere, you had to get out of the, out of the state. <laughs> but when we get to looking at, once she finds out what she's got, it just opens up to a world of things that she's got. Not only in that all, but on every other level. Have you just looked around, I mean, lately, and, and to analyze and say, man, look what I've got. I just got to looking through there. You know, she lost her husband. But that husband left her a good foundation. She knew right where to go. She said, boys, we're going to go see the preacher about this matter. And God used that preacher just not to, not to keep her from seeing it, but to point her in that direction. Listen. The greatest thing you can leave your young ones, your husband, your wife is an awareness of the things of God and the people of God to point them to God. Not houses and lands and great wealth. There was more in that bottle than he could have ever left behind. And what about the friends she had? She didn't know how many friends she had until she needed them. Because he told her... And understand that in those days, there were no Walmarts. You couldn't just go buy, buy a pot and pan. Everybody had their own vessels that the potter made or what, however it was made. And they were very precious to the individual. They were life-sustaining. They had to have those vessels for cooking and drinking and whatever it was, drawing water. You didn't just distribute those. But she comes by, he said, borrow vessels, not a few. And I noticed that evidently almost every or every door she knocked on, they, she said to them, you know that big bowl you got, can I borrow that? And they said, yes, you can. Heard your husband died, whatever you need it for, you can have it. Knocked on another door and said, you know that picture, that prize picture, you, can I borrow Yes, you can. I know what you're going, I, I heard about that. And she went house after house after house, befriended her. Man, just look around at the friends you got. You think you got a few enemies, maybe. Yeah, maybe you do. But, honey, I'm going to tell you, my friends outnumber my enemies by the thousands. Somebody asked me the other day, said, how come you got so many friends across the country? I said, they don't know me. 
<laughs> I just go in and back out. <laughs> but they, I mean, look at the friends who will draw close to you and will love you. And if you have a need, give to you. And how many times has this church taken up, uh, you have taken up your money because of someone that had a need in the church and, and, and wanted to be a blessing? I mean, thank God for my friends. About a family. Nothing more precious than having a son or daughter to pull right with you during the time of trouble. Be able to look across the congregation, same preaching you're hearing, they're hearing, and they're getting the same thing out of it. My boy, got two boys that are passing. One of them was at the youth camp last week, and I'm gonna tell you, he, he just had he had as big a time as I did. One in spirit. Look at this. These boys have got the same heartbeat as mama dies. They're carrying them vessels to the house. They're carrying these vessels to her while she pours and fills these vessels up. They're witnessing as God meets all the needs of what they need through what they've got. Can you hear them talking while they're pouring? Mom, I ain't never going to forget this. I'll tell my children about this and my grandchildren. I wish I had a camera. I'd take a picture of it. They didn't have cameras in those days. <laughs> she had that foundation. She had that, those friends. She had that, 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 that family. And she had the greatest thing God ever gave you, faith. It took faith for her to take that little bit and even turn that wrist for that first vessel. But she kept on pouring. But every, every drop was a drop faith. God wants to get you to the place that you realize that faith is not just a religious term, but it is something that will work where you're at. It'll get big on you in the midst of the need. She goes to get what she's already got, finds out what she's got to meet every need, but it's a need drove her to what she's got. Now she realizes she's got more than she thought she had. <laughs> you outline that for me and I'll preach it. Notice the last. I'm talking about making room for. Can, can, can you not see how she's going to have to make room, not for what she's going to get, but for what she's got? I mean, borrow vessels, not a few, okay? You're going to borrow vessels, not a few. I hope you got room for all those vessels. Uh, honey, uh, listen, son, take, take, take those chairs. No, we're going to have to move the table outside. Take that table outside. Scoot, scoot, uh, scoot the couch. We'll move the couch into the other room. We, uh, my goodness, look at, look at all we got. If you find out how much you got, you won't have the impulses to feel like you got to get something. You might even not even need the stimulus. It'll run out on you. I don't care how much the government sends you. It'll run out on you. It's got a catch to it somewhere along the way. But oh, what God has given you will never run out. You can keep pulling it. So much so. Here's the thing I want you to see now. She goes to get what she's already got, what she's got. Meets every need, but it was the need that revealed what she had. But now we're going to notice she goes back to the man of God and finds out that lo and behold, 
what she's got, others need. Did you see that in that text? Huh? Look at this. God didn't just give you what he gave you for you. He gave you what he gave you because there's others that need what you've got. Look at it, what he said in verse number 7. Then she came and told the man of God and said, and he said, go sell the oil. Pay the debt and live. Woo! He's made an entrepreneur out of her. She never thought she's going to be a business woman. Well, so I found out over my days in ministry that more times than not, when the husband dies, the wife somehow flourishes. I said, man, I found out. I've I, I told my kids, I said, man, when I die, you're going to really find out what mom can do. I've just been, I've just stood, I mean, she got so much energy. She, she did the work of four people. I said, when she dies, I'm going to turn Mormon. I said, why? I said, it takes five women to do what she's doing. <laughs> You're going to find out what she And here her husband dies, and now she's setting up shop and got a business. More money than ever had. <laughs> why? He said, others need what you've got, children. Others need that faith you've got. Others need those prayers you can give. Others need that love you can express. Others, your children, your grandchildren need what God's given you. And they see it, they need it lived out. Live out of that. Now, how everybody found out about it. I guess the ladies come back by to find out. You know, what was you going to do with that pot anyway? Oh, I've filled it up with oil. Filled it up with oil? Where'd you get oil? Well, I had it in the cabinet. Well, can I have some? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got plenty. Word gets around. I mean, they're lining up. She's meeting the needs of others. But that same oil, you know what oil in the Bible stands for, don't you? And she gets to pouring out that oil. Everything's full now. The bowls are full. People are coming and getting filled up with oil. They're living. And the debt's paid. They're going out to Cracker Barrel and eat it. <laughs> How did that woman do it? Didn't her husband die? Yeah, but they said she had a, a, a she must die. Oil well somewhere. They said there's so much oil coming out of there. Never seen such oil. Oil well. Yeah, but I asked her about it and she said she had it in the cabinet. You can carry all God's given you in one little place. But oh, you can do so much out of it. Getting what you got. A couple of illustrations and I close. I was preaching in an area 
many years ago, young preacher, after the service one night, the pastor said, we're going to go to a family's home to eat. He said, they've been a member here, they're gracious, gracious, love God. But said, I want to forewarn you, because I know the man's going to talk to you about it. He thinks he's going to win the Reader's Digest sweepstakes. Three million dollars at that time. I said, really? He said, yeah, and I know it, but he said, he's a good man. So we went and ate a sumptuous meal. Everything was above board. They all seemed to be reasonable, sensible, all the talk. And then he scooted back from the table. He said, preacher, something I want to tell you. I said, okay. He said, I believe God is going to let me win the Reader's Digest sweepstakes, $3 million. I said, is that right? Yeah, he said. And here's the way he worded it. He said, and I'm talking about the difference between getting God. He said, when I get that, I'm going to pay off the debt of the church. Well, it's awful easy talking about what you're going to do off of what you think you're going to get. You ever hear men, I've done it myself, stand around talking and say, you know, if a man had, well, that means they ain't going to do nothing. They ain't got it. <laughs> huh? Honey, if you're operating your Christian life all of something you're going to get, you're going to run out of steam. And he said, something else, he said, I love missionaries, and said, I get that. He said, when I get that, I'm going to take on a bunch of missionaries. He said, I'll tell you something else. He said, I like your preaching. Here's what he said. He said, when I get that, he said, I'm going to give you $30,000 and buy you a car when I get it. I said, well, that's great. And then he said, the only thing I want you to do is pray for me that I win the Reader's Digest sweepstakes, $3 million. I shouldn't have done it. But I said to him, sir, I want to be honest with you. If I had faith enough to pray and believe God that you would win the Reader's Digest sweepstakes, if I felt like I could pray for you, you would win the Reader's Digest sweepstakes, $3 million. I wouldn't pray for you. He said, why? I said, I'd pray for me. I mean, I couldn't. If I got that much faith, I mean, why, why would I pray that for you? I'm praying for me. I'd have a three million instead of 30,000. Buy me 10 cars. I don't know if he won or not. I never got my 30,000 nor my car. But it's just an emphasis. Living in a world of getting instead of what you got. I thought about Moses, and I'll close with this. He's coming down off the mountain. He'd been with his father-in-law guiding those sheep, herding those sheep for 40 years. He had supposed, Stephen said, he had supposed in his younger years that he was going to be the deliverer of the children of Israel. Things didn't work out, and he ended up out there among the sheep on those mountains. But as he was coming down, God was in the, in the bush, the burning bush, and spoke to him. He said, Moses, Moses, got his attention. He said, now's the time. I hear the cry of the children of Israel. They're ready. I'm ready. I'm going to send you down there, and you're going to bring them out. 
Moses said, I can't do that. I've done forgot the language. I can't even speak the language. Besides that, Pharaoh, them king, he's not going to turn them people loose. And I already found out your people's hard-headed too. They're not going to budge themselves. How, how am I going to do that? With what am I going to do that? And God said, Moses, what do you got in your hand? Well, I said, it's a rod. I, you know, drive the sheep with, lead the sheep with, prod the sheep with. What do you... Moses, however long he had that rod, he could have had it 40 years the whole time he was there, had an old dead stick in his hand that was going to do everything God ever wanted done in leading the children of Israel out. If he wanted a plague, he said, Moses, raise the rod. You've got it. If he wanted to split the Red Sea, he said, Moses, raise the rod. You've got it. It was all done through what Moses already You realize when you got saved, there was nothing that God is or has he did not put in you. Someone said to me here a while back, said, I can't wait to get to eternity. I said, you don't have to. You already got it. You were given what? Eternal life. Everything. In other words, there's no more God sitting on the throne of heaven but what abides in each one of our hearts. He put it all in there. You've got it. But he wants you to discover it and live off. She goes to get what she's got. Finds out what she's got. It's all she's ever going to need. But it the, took the need to drive her to what she's got. And then she found out that what she's got, everybody else needs. This world needs what we have. Let's stand.